Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for December 6th, 2022, the 12th of the month of Kislev, 5783, or Tafshin Fe in the Hebrew calendar. I am Walter Bingham, and ever since this program started, there have been considerable changes in the methods of communication. Technology has advanced to a level that I could not have imagined even then. I once flew from New York to London in just over three hours, so technology has effectively shrunk the world, and I would be remiss not to talk about matters that are peripheral to Jewish subjects, because the effects are felt by us all. So today I bring you two interviews with the ambassadors of Kazakhstan and of Finland, talking about their country's concerns and how they adapt to our modern world. But I begin with the latest developments in our own country. Following our general election, almost one month has passed since Benjamin Netanyahu was charged by the state president Herzog to form a government. Consultations with the parties that support the prime minister-designate Benjamin Netanyahu are aggravatingly slow. In fact, I, like most citizens who expected our right-wing parties to speedily form a government, am frustrated to a very high degree. The disgusting squabbling of the leaders of United Torah Judaism, Shas, Noam, Religious Zionists and the Otsma Yehudit parties does not bode well for a lasting government. Whilst I believe that all of them want the Netanyahu government, they are intent to bring the negotiations to the brink of the allotted time to force Netanyahu into submission for their claims for ministerial posts. The Prime Minister-designate is now considering an application to the President for another 14 days as allowed by law. It is not just that Likud, the largest party, needs to retain some of the important portfolios, but that the supposedly allied parties are fighting among themselves for these positions. An absolutely disgraceful situation that, in my view, disqualifies them all, because they strengthen the belief of the opposition that the right wing is incapable to govern. Netanyahu needs a very firm hand to bring this kindergarten to order. Now to some world matters. If my numbers are right, 94 sovereign countries maintain embassies in Israel. Until now, only four of those have followed protocol and placed their embassies in Israel's capital, Jerusalem. Ninety others are still situated in the Tel Aviv metropolitan area for outdated and unjustified reasons. Yet all diplomatic business is conducted in Jerusalem. One of those is from the Republic of Finland, a country known for its snow, vast forests, Oriola Borealis, lakes and the proverbial home of Santa Claus. It's a tourist paradise. 
The crime rate is low and most offences are traffic violations. Usually nothing of international impact is happening there. The bilateral relations between our two countries go back to the very beginning of the establishment of Israel in 1948, when their then-president, Parsi Kibi, recognized the Jewish state almost immediately, although it took until November 1950 for official diplomatic relations to be established. But that was 72 years ago, and we've been friends ever since. That's why it is my special pleasure to welcome the Finnish ambassador to Israel, Her Excellency Mrs. Kirsika Leto Asikainen, to the studio. Thank you so much. Nice to be here, Walter. It's nice to share this time with you. I apologize for the sound quality of the guest microphone, which was due to some technical problems, and hope that it will not diminish your listening pleasure. You have a family. Are they with you in Israel? Yes, they are, at least part of the family. My husband actually was able to move here because of Corona, so there were some positive um, things for our family. So running his venture capital fund, Finland and in Europe, and I have my younger son here with me, who is soon turning 15, going to the American International School. But my oldest son moved back to Finland last summer because he had to start his compulsory military service. Does your younger son speak Hebrew? Not much. School, he has very good uh, Israeli friends. I English. ask it's because you are quite a linguist, having yourself studied in France. As Finns, we need to manage many languages because Finland, Finnish is not so spoken globally. Today, our countries have strong economic and cultural ties, and there is considerable tourist travel between Israel and Finland, and regular direct flights between Tel Aviv and Helsinki. Is Finland a member of the Schengen area? And if so, do Israelis require visas to enter Finland? Yes, we are part of the Schengen area. No visa is needed to travel to Finland for Israelis. It's only four and a half hours flights. And actually before Corona, there were about 20,000 Israelis traveling to Finland uh, annually, mostly to Lapland. So we had about 20,000 Finns coming here before Corona. We hope to reach those levels again now that things are getting back to normal. When I travel to a country for the first time, I'm immediately struck by certain features that stand out. You have represented your country in Israel for more than three years. What impressions will you take away at the end of your tour of duty here? Well, many, many memories. First of all, perhaps the very broad and diverse and active relations we have with Israel and in many sectors, political dialogue, uh, economic innovation, cultural and these people-to-people relations. And we are keen to have a dialogue and cooperation. And this is a beautiful country, of course. I have tried to travel as much as possible throughout the country, visiting different places. And then Israeli people, of course. Although you've been in the diplomatic service for 25 years, I have observed that Israel is usually a training ground for ambassadorial posts in major countries. What would be your preference? London, Washington? Well, I think uh, looking at my colleagues here from different countries, I think this is a very important 
country for many other countries because they tend to send senior and very experienced diplomats to Israel. So I wouldn't say it's a training place. But from here, I see also colleagues going to very important places like Washington and others. For myself personally, I have a particular connection to France. So maybe one day I would be able to serve as Finnish ambassador in Paris. But I'm focusing on being here now in Israel and my next posting will be actually going back to Helsinki for family reasons next summer. Somewhere in the foreign service. Yes. And that brings me to current events. The whole of Europe and particularly the northern states of Sweden and Finland are affected by the threats of Russia. President Putin, a former KGB functionary, appears to be intent on restoring his country to the territorial size as it was under the Russian Empire and subsequently the Soviet Union. In January this year, he began a second attack on Ukraine, having already occupied their Crimean Peninsula in 2014. Finland is a Western-oriented country and has come into focus because it shares a 1,340-kilometer-long border with Russia. Having already once been occupied by Russia during the winter of 1939-40 and made part of the Soviet Union, Finland has expressed fears to be again on Putin's target list. Are you militarily prepared and able to defend such a long border? Well, absolutely. And maybe correct that we were never occupied by the Soviet Union. We had two wars with the Soviet Union, but Helsinki was never occupied. We were two capitals which, which were part of the war, which were not occupied, and that was Helsinki and London. But anyway, we have our history with the Soviet Union, and we once were part of Russia uh, before we became independent in 1917. But we have always been prepared for this scenario as well. We have maintained very strong military forces military capabilities and conscription army. So I think that we were prepared for different scenarios. And now we have a dramatically changed situation in Europe, having a war in Europe, where Russia has started a brutal and unjustified, unprovoked war against Ukraine, a sovereign state, talking about possible use of nuclear weapons. This is something very unheard of. And this has led to dramatic changes also in Finland and in Sweden, and we have decided to apply to NATO and uh, we see this situation is not only an attack against Ukraine, it's an attack against whole European security order and also global security order. So this has to be taken very seriously and what we are doing, we are of course helping uh, Ukraine to fight against Russia and to be able to defend their country and their independence. Since that war in Ukraine, Thousands of Russians are crossing into Finland to avoid conscription. Whilst I assume that such migrants are accepted on humanitarian grounds, do you have concerns that among them are perhaps military spies and agents? Well, we have got some Russians traveling to Finland. Now we have restricted the traveling if, unless you have a, a family reasons or work-related reasons. So actually there's no traveling anymore taking place on our border. So we have got some Russians who have come to Finland and we will deal with all the cases separately, whether they will be able to stay on a humanitarian basis. 
that every person is able to stay on the basis of um, avoiding going to Ukraine. And uh, there are restrictions of, of having the, the Russians coming to Finland at the moment. You've already mentioned NATO. It was in May this year your Prime Minister Marine and President Ninisto announced Finland's intent to apply to join NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organizations, and already in July the accession protocol was signed and ratified by, I believe, 28 so far of the 30 NATO member countries. But all member states must ratify it. Until everything is completed, Finland will be a non-voting associate member? Actually, we are a NATO invitee. We are already joining NATO's work and, and discussions. When does Finland expect to be admitted as a full member? Well, it depends on the pending ratifications now. Uh, as you mentioned, 28 out of 30 countries have already ratified. We are still waiting for Hungary and Turkish ratifications. Now, From Hungary, we heard that uh, this week in the NATO meeting that they will ratify in the beginning of February. And on Turkey, uh, we haven't got any timetable yet. Article 5 of the NATO treaty provides that if a NATO ally is the victim of an armed attack, every other member will consider this as an attack against all and will take action to assist a member who is attacked. Why did you now want to join NATO that could involve Finland in a war somewhere where it doesn't even affect your own security, when all these years you relied on your own defense? We will, of course, first and foremost rely on our own defense. But as I explained, the situation has changed dramatically in Europe with this war. Uh, Russia started the uh, invasion of Ukraine, that we have long cooperation with NATO as a partner and we have been becoming very close to NATO and this was now with the dramatic changes taking place in Europe with Russia's uh, activities this was the time to now apply the membership of NATO the Finnish na membership will strengthen NATO we, be we believe and we know and NATO, NATO is also very much uh, welcoming us in the sense that uh, what we can do for the Nordic uh, security and the Baltic Sea region security and stability. We want to be part of NATO, to have the common defense, you know, be part of Article 5, which of course means that we also have responsibilities. We have rights and we have security from the other NATO members, but we also we are ready to defend our future allies as well. Does Finland consider a Russian attack on its territory a strong possibility? We don't have any military threat from Russia against Finland today. But as I said, we have always been prepared for this possibility and all the possible alternatives. Let me now come to the subject of Finland's Jewish community. I believe their presence started in the mid-18th century, but it was only some time after Finland became a sovereign state or in December 1917 that in 1919 Finnish Jews were granted equal rights. What is their total number in Finland today? Mm. The community is, is perhaps about 1,500-2,000 people. It's a small community but very active and we're very well integrated community in Finland. And uh, main synagogues are in Helsinki and Turku. Although Nazi parties operated in Finland during World War II, Jews of Finnish citizenship were protected 
and even a personal request by Gestapo chief Himmler for their deportation was not heeded and Jewish soldiers were given leave for their religious festivals. However, Finland's police chief did hand over eight Jews to the Nazis who were immediately murdered. To Finland's credit, the events caused a national scandal and even ministerial resignations were reported. Today there is an important problem for the Jewish population in your country and also for Muslims. The Finnish Animal Welfare Act stipulates that religious slaughter of animals may only be carried out in the presence of a veterinarian and slaughter without stunning is completely banned. Violations are punishable with a fine of up to two years of imprisonment. Kosher and halal meat is produced in Finnish slaughterhouses only from animals which have been stunned before bleeding, which in effect renders the meat non-kosher. Appeals have been made to the Finnish government by various organizations and even by Benjamin Netanyahu to vary the Animal Protection Act and allow kosher slaughter. Is this likely to happen? Well, maybe I will go back to one where you started with the Nazi parties operating in Finland. We never had uh, Nazi parties operating in Finland, to be to be exact. So uh, right wing parties. Yes, and w- what I want to say that we always protected our own Jewish community, and they were an important part of our country for a long time. Although we had to work with Germany uh, in order to fight for our independence and against Russia. We never cooperated with them ideologically, and uh, we never admitted that we would have any Jewish question. They were asking a number of times, and we never gave up of any any single Finnish Jew. And that our former Prime Minister Paavo Lipponen has already apologized uh, officially years ago. But then uh, it's a kind of a paradox that the Jewish soldiers were fighting in the front and next to the German soldiers, and they even got some iron crosses from Germany for their brave services, which of course they did not accept. But it's a kind of a paradox. We could talk more about that maybe, that point of time in history. But going back to, to your reference to the animal welfare legislation, this is something that has been... Uh, already in the process in the, at the EU level and, and has been nationally now going forward. And I think it's still possible to import kosher meat, so we will not introduce any restrictions there. But when it comes to the slaughtering in Finland, there will be rules and regulations based on the animal welfare. On her visit to Finland earlier this year, the EU anti-Semitism watchdog Katarina von Schnurbein mm-hmm. pointed out that neither the authorities nor the general public in Finland are fully aware of the lingering anti-Semitic sentiments. Mm-hmm. To what extent has the current international malaise of anti-Semitism gained a foothold in today's Finland? I think we really take it very seriously, the question of anti-Semitism, and we do take measures nationally, of course, to avoid it and to fight against it. And as part of our common duty, and for instance, in the education system and all that, we make sure that these things are very thoroughly dealt with. And we are fully committed to the work of the IHRA, for instance. Finland has also adopted and is implementing the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, and it has been endorsed in our human rights strategy. So we do take it very seriously and authorities do everything they can. On that encouraging note, I end. Madam Ambassador, 
Thank you very much for your time. Thank is, you. Is, we now come to the second interview. But before we start, did you notice that a new unrealistic term has crept into the vocabulary of the world's media? I'm of course not surprised, because any derogatory description of Israel's activity or policy fits into the biased pattern of the foreign media reporting. It is regrettable, however, that our major and influential English daily, the Jerusalem Post, is also using the term settler homes when reporting on disputes about proposed new housing in the eastern part of our capital city, Jerusalem, and in Israel's heartland of Judea and Samaria. Using this description with its connotation of illegal for the building of homes for our expanding Jewish population is giving support to those who claim that it further reduces the possibility of a two-state solution. Setting this argument aside, there is clearly once again a double standard applied to the activities of Israel compared with the rest of the world. In my long life, I've never heard that a new housing complex in England or America is described as settler homes. It's rather publicized as an achievement of their government to provide homes for young couples. The British government is proposing to build 300,000 new housing units, not settler homes. And I must add that in correct language terms, I consider myself a settler because I proudly settled in the center of Jerusalem. On December 7th, the Republic of Kazakhstan celebrates the 31st anniversary of its independence. The historic relationship between Israel and Kazakhstan dates back to 1992, when both countries opened diplomatic relations and established their embassies. Before that, Kazakhstan was the largest of the Soviet socialist republics, and dissatisfied with that regime, Kazakhstan announced its sovereignty already in October 1990. But after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, it was the last of the Soviet Socialist Republic countries that declared its full independence on December 1991. The first president of the new Republic of Kazakhstan, with its parliament consisting of an upper and a lower house, was a former functionary of the Communist Politburo, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev who ruled the country during its transition and subsequently with a firm hand and built a prosperous country. In all subsequent elections, he reached more than 95% of the votes. But Nazarbayev's presidency was not without difficult challenges, brought about by the decline of the Russian economy. After having ruled for almost 30 years, 78-year-old President Nursultan Nazarbayev announced his retirement on television on March 19, 2019, which caught many by surprise, having regarded him as president for life. But intending an orderly transition of power, he ensured that his successor is the Speaker of the Upper House of Parliament, Kasim Yomad Tokayev, who continued the policy of his mentor. 
Nazarbayev's popularity continued to have almost undue influence on the affairs of Parliament. But in his honour, the new president renamed the capital Astana, Nur Sultan, the name that was already that of the city's international airport. Now, for reasons stranger than fiction, he has returned the name to its original Astana. Kazakhstan does not have an official religion and is tolerant of all evidenced by they are holding a three-yearly congress of the world's religious leaders. The population numbers approximately 20 million and their languages are Kazakh and Russian and the literacy of all over 15-year-olds is 100% of both male and female. One of Israel's important trading partners in Central Asia is Kazakhstan, which has an export-related economy and is the largest in Central Asia in both absolute and per capita terms based on its vast oil, natural gas and mineral deposits. My latest figures of Israel's main import from Kazakhstan is crude oil amounting to $308 million in 2020, and our total exports to Kazakhstan added up to $74.5 million, of which $27.7 million were computers. Still a considerable trade deficit, which may have changed by the end of 2022. Now, after more than three years of President Tokayev's rule, a different wind is blowing through Kazakhstan and unexpected changes are taking place. Implementing some projects, but as you remember, suddenly we had encountered corona crisis in March 2020 and uh, this has been an, some kind of obstacle to our relations. You, you remember that there were some lockdowns and at least one year or one and a half year uh, but we started gaining again from our good relationship since the beginning of this year uh, because 2020 brought to our relationship a lot of projects and a lot of events uh, marking the 30th anniversary of diplomatic relations between our countries. Kazakhstan is much respected in Israel. In fact, as you just mentioned at the ceremony of presenting your credentials to the state president, Reuven Rivlin, at the time, he remarked that a policy of tolerance and interconfessional harmony in multicultural Kazakhstan deserves high respect and is a good example of how xenophobia, antisemitism and other manifestations of intolerance must be resisted. Well, about one year ago, there was considerable unrest in Kazakhstan, with large demonstrations amounting to an uprising, so that your president, Kasim Yomat Tokayev, requested Soviet troops to help quell the rebellion. What caused it, and who was behind it? Kazakhstan has experienced significant challenge in the first half of 2022, as you mentioned, uh, predominantly the tragic events in January when Kazakhstan suffered the worst violence in its 30 years as an independent state following an armed coup d'attempt 
by terrorists and the criminal groups, and then the indirect consequences of the conflicts ongoing in the immediate region to uh, Kazakhstan. So, government of Kazakhstan has these challenges to transform the country into a new Kazakhstan through a major positive uh, transformation uh, initiated by uh, President of Kazakhstan. A new Kazakhstan, what means? Because these challenges, these unrest pushed to major reforms in Kazakhstan. New Kazakhstan concept, which uh, was proposed by President Tokayev, means a more resilient, uh, diversified and equal economy. Opportunities for private initiative for all citizens and fairer society. I understand that, but what I want to know is who was behind those uprisings? These upheavals, uprising, started with peaceful demonstration uh, caused by liquidated fuel prices. But uh, unfortunately, these uh, peaceful demonstrations were captured by violence, as I mentioned before, by criminal groups who unfortunately started robbing shops and uh, killing police, killing security people who was maintaining order and stability in the streets, who was inviting for calm down this uh, violence. But unfortunately, it went to the worst scenario and um, the government took necessary steps in order to stabilize the situation. In an interview elsewhere, you attributed the violence to foreign elements. Who were they? Well, uh, the investigations into the January events uh, still uh, going on. I, some elements didn't finalize, but of course, uh, at that time, the government officials were indicating to some foreign elements. Well, can you be more specific and say who they were? Uh, because the investigation didn't finalize yet, we cannot indicate to specific things. In the coming years, future, it will be released out. As you know, I'm a great friend of Kazakhstan and therefore concerned about any changes that affect the population. We now hear that President Tokayev has introduced changes of the constitution, transforming the state model. And they sound like an improvement, but in politics, nothing is as it looks. What exactly was intended? President Tokayev proposed far-reaching political reforms which required amendments to the constitution. The amendments were put to a vote in a national referendum on the 5th of June. And citizens of Kazakhstan voted in favor of the amendments and those reforms. And following the referendum, the president said that it ensured that the unrest in January would not be repeated. The country's leadership has begun the process of ending monopolization, or oligopolization, and uh, making the economic rules of the game fair for everyone. Mr. Ambassador, yeah. you're not really answering my question. I want to know what is intended with those changes and what were they? To create a self-sufficient middle class and efficient economy that ensures a fair distribution of income, the creation of uh, quality of jobs and stability, of course, 
self-realizations of citizens. So by not making any reforms, we couldn't go further steps. That was the aim of the reform. I understand. It's supposed to be redistributing the balance of powers of the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary uh, branches. Uh, That's a very wide term that can lead to either more democratic government or to a more repressive regime, depending on which branch will exercise the checks and balances. Which branch has overriding powers? Have any concrete changes been made yet? Yes, there's a nationwide referendum on 5th of June on the adoption of amendments and additions to the country. was a historic moment. We can say that it was a really historic moment for Kazakhstan because over 70% of the citizens in favor of constitutional amendments that reflect political initiatives of uh, President Tokayev because they voted almost 70%. And uh, Kazakhstan has now entered a new stage of its development. Executive power to have a strong president, accountable government, and a well-powered parliament. By the change of the constitutional amendments, uh, there will be created constitutional court. Constitutional council will be reorganized in order to protect citizens' rights. I believe that in these changes, there was a reduction of powers of the upper house and increasing the powers of the majlis, excuse my mispronunciation, the lower house, the lower chamber. When in democracies, it's usually the upper chamber that exercises powers of checks and balances. Why did you reduce the powers of the upper house? In our system, members of the Senate not elected by popular vote. Uh, Members of the Senate elected by uh, local parliaments in the regions. Let's say we have 17 regions and Senate members from each region will be elected by local parliament members. But Majlis was always the chamber which has more power because Majlis... The lower house is elected by people of Kazakhstan. Before amendments to constitutions, Majlis was elected uh, by proportional system, all 100%. Now, according to new changes to the constitutions and the special regulations uh, on the election to the parliament, it is it will be mixed proportion. So 70% of the members of Majlis deputies will be elected by proportional system and 30% by the people. That's all very complicated, but the changes that President Tokayev is making have only just begun. What other changes does he want, and what will be their overall effect? Kazakhstan has 20th of November presidential elections. So according to that election, President Tokayev was re-elected. By his initiative, there was an amendment to the constitutions that president from now on will be elected for one single seven-year term. Like in Israel, for instance, you have seven years, single term. In the past elections, which we had 20th of November, the incumbent president, Tokayev, win 81% of the uh, total vote. Let me change subject now. 
the global market is experiencing a most difficult period caused in a large part by the war in Ukraine and the resulting dramatic increase in energy costs, supply chain problems and, of course, high inflation. President Tokayev, your president, has a very good relationship with President Putin. Does he support the Russian incursion into Ukraine? Well, uh, first of all, let me note that, unfortunately, the crisis in the world, which is taking place now, didn't bypass also Kazakhstan. So you asked me whether we have good relations with Russia. Uh, Kazakhstan has the second longest border in the world. You can imagine uh, people uh, living in this, along these borders, uh, having uh, cultural ties and the people-to-people contact. They will contact each other. Uh, by means of education, or by means of culture, by means of trade. What is the official policy of Kazakhstan yeah. towards the Ukraine war? Today, President of Kazakhstan, President Tokayev, is meeting President Putin. He is on an official visit to Russia. And tomorrow, he is visiting France. He is going to meet President Macron. So, we have excellent relations also with Ukraine and Kazakhstan delivered at the beginning also humanitarian aid to Ukraine. We several times indicated that we are standing for resolving any conflicts by means of peace, by means of diplomatic ways. And uh, we respect United Nations Charter. One month ago, at the invitation of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Cyprus, a country to which you are also accredited, you addressed the 13th Limassol Economic Forum. What were your main points? I presented foreign policy of my country, foreign policy of President Tokayev in the changing world, our foreign policy and economic policy within our region, Central Asia, and uh, Kazakhstan's trade with the rest of the world. Can you give some specifics? Uh, including our neighbors. The foreign trade of Kazakhstan in the wider region of Eurasian economy, also. Uh, but there were various topics, of course. I touched upon the domestic politics, uh, and uh, I think it was interesting also the European business, the local business, and our export policy of crude oil, energy policy. 8% of the oil and energy consumed by Europe coming from Kazakhstan. Now, finally, Mr. Ambassador, it looks as if your neighbor and ally, and we touched on a little bit of that before, Russia, is at a turning point in history, and matters are likely to get worse. In the Ukraine, they are between what we call a rock and a hard place. Putin can neither humiliate himself by giving in to Ukrainian demands, nor can he commit his really untrained and poorly equipped soldiers to a winter war. You have, as you said, 7,644 kilometers long border with Russia, as well as one with China. Are you concerned and do you see Kazakhstan's future with Europe or in a Central Asian Confederation? Well, about Central Asia, uh, our bilateral relation with our four neighbors uh, in Central Asia, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, 
Tajikistan and Turkmenistan are developing based on a mutual respect, support, understanding and uh, friendship. Looking beyond Central Asia, of course uh, we can talk about uh, Kazakhstan's relation with two of its giant neighbors. It's uh, Russia. The strategic nature of our relations is predeterminated by the world's longest contiguous uh, land border. Uh, with regard to China, in September, Chinese President Xi Jinping with an official visit, uh, which infused a new spirit in our relations. But we have also a strategic partnership with the European Union, our main trade partner. Uh, we, we trade with Europe with many other items as well. So Kazakhstan, in its foreign policy, maintains a multi-sectorial foreign relationship. But you will also be affected by Russia's policies towards Ukraine. Can you say something more specific about that? It's a big question today. Yes, with the, this crisis in the world now, which is happening, uh, indirectly impacts to, to our economy, to the economy of the Central Asia. That's why the main uh, interest of uh, Kazakhstan is to keep its national interest, to be in a stable uh, relationship with uh, neighbors, uh, wider neighbors. And um, as uh, President of Kazakhstan, uh, Pre President Tokayev mentioned after re-elected, he said that foreign policy of Kazakhstan will be and stay as uh, multivectoral. Kazakhstan must a multivector foreign policy he said many times that Kazakhstan should be committed to the United Nations Charter and pursue a peaceful foreign policy. That amounts to being neutral in these conflicts. Is it possible in today's world to be neutral? We have many examples. Why not? I again must repeat that Kazakhstan persuades from its first national interests and it will balance uh, both uh, foreign policy, uh, but we are pursuing a uh, multi-vector policy. Mr. Ambassador, thank you very much. And with this, I'm ending for today. Until the next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a good and successful week. And please don't forget, it's winter and cold, and your elderly neighbor may need some help. So please go and visit. Thank you. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 